Please be seated uh, and turn to Genesis chapter 4. We'll start in verse 17 with our reading in just a moment. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, uh, the text is in the back of your order of worship. You'll find it there inside that back page. Now, we also have copies of the scripture on the table just outside the back door if you'd like to grab one of those. Genesis 3.15 continues to unfold in Genesis. We're going to keep coming back to Genesis 3.15 for quite some time now. Uh, it is perhaps the most important verse in, in establishing the narrative of all of redemptive history. Uh, in Genesis 3.15, right there in the context of Adam and Eve uh, rebelling against God, falling in sin and God arriving to declare judgment against the serpent and against Adam and Eve in Genesis 3:15 says I will put enmity he says this to the serpent I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring it's impossible to overstate the centrality of Genesis 3.15, not only to Genesis, but to the entire narrative of the fall and redemption and consummation. The offspring of the serpent and the offspring of Eve, God says, I'm going to put enmity between you. Uh, you're, you're getting along well now, it would seem, but I'm going to destroy that fellowship and restore the fellowship that I had with you in the garden before the fall. Look at Genesis 3.15 in your Bibles. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The offspring of the serpent is not a literal offspring of serpents, but a people from among the human race who will by their actions demonstrate that they are like the serpents, just as a child is like his or her father. And this is why they're said to be the offspring of the serpents. And this understanding of Genesis 3.15 is not our special understanding. It's not my unique interpretation of the passage. Christ in John chapter 8 interprets it precisely this way. He says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. The Jews answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. You see, Jesus understands that these two kinds of offspring in Genesis 3.15, the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of Eve, represent two peoples in the human race. Those who act like the serpent, who demonstrate that they belong to the serpent. They are, if you will, offspring of the serpent because they rebel against God and choose rather to be in fellowship with Satan. The offspring of Eve, on the other hand, are those who are being saved by God. 
Genesis 3.15 also teaches us that a decisive moment will come when God will deliver a wound. The serpent will deliver a wound to the heel, but the offspring of Eve, a particular offspring, will deliver a death blow striking the head. We see that God will make a division between those who know and love and trust and serve God and those who choose to follow the serpent instead. This is not a state of affairs that's going to last forever. There's one coming, one day, who will come bring all of this to a conclusion when one who is born of the offspring of Eve defeats the serpent forever. And notice how the text goes immediately in, in Genesis from this, this establishing of enmity between the people of God and the people of the serpents. We go immediately into the narrative of Cain and Abel that we looked at last week. Uh, There's an enmity between Cain and Abel, and that enmity is rooted in their identities as offspring of Eve and offspring of the serpent. And it's out of that narrative of the murder of Abel that this morning we pick up in the text with Cain and his offspring. What sort of people are they? But before we're done with this morning's text, we'll have a reminder that there is another offspring of faithful people. Let's pray, and we'll read our text for this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you have revealed to us the truth about what is happening in the world, the reality that is, uh, is behind and underneath all of history and all of the future. We thank you for the promise of a coming day when all will be made right and perfect forever. Fathers, we come to your word this morning. We pray that you would give us uh, the, the right insight, that we would come to a, a proper understanding of your word this morning, not for the mere sake of being right, but so that in this right understanding we would be transformed into the image of Christ, that you would make us like him. Father, we pray that you would do all of this for our good and your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Hear the reading of God's word, Genesis 4, beginning in verse 17. Cain knew his wife, And she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. This morning, we're going to consider the offspring of the serpent. They serve themselves and trust in their own power. The offspring of the serpent serve themselves and trust in their own power. 
The offspring of Eve serve God. The offspring of Eve serve God, and the offspring of Eve trust in God. The offspring of Eve trust in God. Sarah has placed a helpful page in your order of worship that you might not have seen yet. You have to flip, I think, one more page over. Uh, it's an outline without the points. Uh, that would be my fault. Uh, but she's, uh, she's giving you space there to take some notes this morning. The offspring of the serpent serve themselves and trust in their own power. Now, this is going to become clearer next week when we see the, the offspring of Seth laid out and described. But notice that there is no mention of God in this description of the offspring of Cain. Their vocations and culture only serve them. They're engaged in city building, which in their particular case is sin because they, uh, Cain was commanded to wander, and rather than wander, he builds a city and settles down. They name things after themselves and after their children. Lamech took two wives instead of following God's created order of only taking one. They're raising livestock, inventing musical instruments, working in metal. These things are not sinful in and of themselves, but notice there is no mention of God. They're not engaged in these things in service to God or in worship of God, but according to their own pleasure, whether God wills it or not. We see this as the case, especially when we come to Lamech there at the end of the description of Cain's people. He brags about murdering a man, uh, a boy, simply for offending him. And he despises God's justice and is determined to get his own justice. And it's in this trait in particular we begin to realize that the offspring of the serpent believe that they are bigger than God. Psalm 2 accuses them of this. Psalm 2 opens, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The offspring of the serpent in the world are in rebellion against God and believe that God's reign is illegitimate and that they themselves ought to reign. They believe that they are capable even of achieving this kind of independence from God. The line of Cain is not a godly line. It's a line that serves itself. This is how the offspring of the serpent behave, and it continues even today. It's, it's vital to the book of Genesis and to our understanding of the reality of the world today that we, we really get a clear sense. This is why I opened this morning uh, going back to Genesis 3.15. We get a clear sense of the fact that the offspring of the serpent are people and that they still exist today. The world consists today of only two kinds of people, those who are worshiping and serving God who created all things, trusting in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sin, and those who are in rebellion against God. The offspring of the serpent and the offspring of Eve are not a, a historical artifact in the text, but are two continuing lines of people throughout history, even into today. Jesus is going to call them the sheep and the goats. And when we come to the book of Revelation, and in that book we read about events that are still future to us today, we see that there are only 
two places that all of us in humanity end up in eternity. We either end up under the wrath of God forever, or we end up in his presence made perfect and worshiping him forever. What we read in Genesis 3.15 about these two kinds of people was true then, it's been true since then, it's true today, and it will be true forever. We've got to learn to see the world this way. We have this morning in our text this example of how it is that the offspring of the serpent live. The offspring of the serpent live for themselves. They live for their own pleasure. The good gifts that God gives them according to common grace, they use for themselves and not in his service. The the word that God has given that he will establish justice is ignored, rejected, despised. Remember that when Cain, when God approached Cain, and, and called him to account for murdering his brother. Look at what God says. I'm in verse 13 of chapter 4. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. We talked about this last week. What he says is true and ought to be true. Justice for Cain means his death. But despite that, God is patient and gracious. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. God is the one who will establish justice. God is the one who will hold accountable anyone who causes offense to Cain, taking his life. But look at what Lamech says in verse 23. I'm pronouncing it Ada so that we don't offend Ada McCall. (laughs) And Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. God's justice is not sufficient. I demand greater justice, and I am the one who will execute it. This is the the character and nature of those who belong to the serpent and are in rebellion against God. This is how the offspring of the serpent behave, and it continues even today. Our society and culture invent things for our own comfort and amusement, and which serve us. They neither thank God for them, nor do they use them to serve him and his kingdom. The impulse in so many people today is to make sure they get justice Justice as they define it in and with the right to determine what that justice is and how it will be executed. This is the perspective of one who does not believe in God, does not trust in God, and even despises God. Christian, it should be different with us. When we see the world casting off all restraint, serving themselves, rebelling against God and his created order, determined to get revenge when they are wronged, how ought we to live among such people? Think about all of the blessings that you have from God. Are you using those blessings to serve yourself? Or are you using those blessings to serve God? 
Well, we, we get a, uh, a brief insight at the end of this chapter into how it is that the offspring of Eve live. And that's our second point this morning. The offspring of Eve trust in God. In contrast to the line of Cain that we've just considered, look at the introduction to the offspring of Eve. And Adam knew his wife, verse 25, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Abel, the godly son, was killed. But here we see that God is faithful to give Adam and Eve another godly son. The offspring of the serpent killed the offspring of Eve. And we, the readers, are left to wonder, has God's promise to send a godly offspring to deliver them, has that promise been thwarted? What will we do now that the only offspring of Eve is the offspring of the serpents? God immediately here answers that question. No. God gives another son, Seth. Seth, whose name sounds in Hebrew like the verb appointed, to appoint. Notice Eve's statement of faith. She attributes all to God. God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Notice the absence of a vengeful determination in Eve. She knows Cain killed Abel, but she also knows that God provides, that God has established justice with Cain, and he has now provided another in place of Abel. The world remembers Eve for reaching out and taking the fruit. Brothers and sisters, we ought to remember Eve for her faithfulness. We're going to get two closing statements from Eve. One opens chapter 4 and one closes it. Both of them statements of faith. Look at the opening of chapter 4. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Listen to what she says at the birth of Cain. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. It's a difficult line to translate. I'm not going to go this morning into the, the different options. One thing is clear regardless of how we translate it. Eve believes that God is keeping his promises to her to send an offspring who will deliver them from the curse. She is rejoicing that God has given her a son. She's going to close chapter 4 with the verse we read a moment ago there in chapter 25. God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. The world remembers Eve for taking the fruit, but we ought to remember her for her faithfulness. She expresses hope in the children that God gives to her. She knows the promises and believes the promises of God that have been made to her. And this is where we, we end with Eve. We're going to move on in the coming weeks, and Eve's part in the narrative is over. This is where, Ab or where Moses, the, the author of Genesis, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is what he leaves us with when it comes to Eve. Eve is faithful. It's an example to us of what it, it looks like to be a part of the offspring of Eve, the people of God. What does it look like to trust in God? One clear example from the text is to contrast Lamech's words with the words of Christ. 
Lamech will not trust in God for justice, but boasts. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. In contrast, Peter asks Jesus in Matthew 18, How many times must I forgive my brother? Seven? Jesus responds, not seven times, but seventy times seven. You see, refusing to forgive and instead insisting upon vengeance, this is the character of the offspring of the serpent, the offspring of Eve. Those who belong to God know that God will establish justice. We know that God is our protector and provider. We trust in God rather than in ourselves. We get even in these Two verses here at the end of the chapter, such a strong contrast. And it's, a, I, I believe, an intentional contrast. Notice she doesn't just recognize that God has appointed Seth for her, but that Seth is in place of Abel because Cain killed him. Eve knows what Cain has done. It's not unreasonable to believe that as a mother, she grieves not only the loss of a child, but of a godly son. But we hear no, no expression of vengeance from Eve. Instead, we see Eve rejoicing that God is faithful, that he's restored to her a child. The offspring of Eve trust God. Are we trusting God in the world today? Are we willing to trust that where we have been wronged, justice has been or will be done? We've talked about this before. It's, it's vital to the perspective of a Christian in the world. Understand this, brothers and sisters. Every single sin that has been committed in history receives justice. Absolute, divine, infinite justice. It has either been served by Jesus Christ in place of the offspring of Eve, those who belong to God for whom Christ died, or it will be served by the sinner himself or herself in eternity in hell. With this in mind, how will we improve on the justice that God has established? It's absurd to imagine that we would. To think that we could improve on God's justice would to be to imagine that we are bigger than God. It seems foolish, but so much of the Christian faith seems foolish. And Paul is uh, good about reminding us that it's foolishness to the world what God says is true. But to live in the world as those who are trusting in God means also not seeking vengeance, but trusting that God has and will establish justice. Finally, this morning, the offspring of Eve serve God. Notice Seth has a son, Enosh, and this line worships God. In complete contrast to the line of Cain in which no mention of God is made, either to serve him or to worship him, we are told one simple truth about Seth and his offspring. They called upon the name of the Lord. This is the main characteristic of the offspring of Eve. 
No doubt it's true that they were also shepherds and played instruments and worked metal and built cities, but none of these are the one thing we need to know about them. You see, all of that will burn up in the fire of judgment. All of that will be lost in the judgment of God. It is not eternal. But what is eternal is our relationship with the God who created us and who has redeemed us from our sin. The offspring of Eve call upon the name of the Lord. They call upon the name of the Lord as an act of worship. To call upon the name of the Lord is to ascribe to Him what is true. It's to acknowledge who He is. It's to praise Him and worship Him. To call upon the name of the Lord expresses dependence. In contrast to the the self-sufficiency that's asserted by Cain's line, Lamech insisting that he will get greater justice than God himself could give. In contrast, the offspring of Eve call upon the name of the Lord, expressing dependence upon him. It's to cry out as a child cries out to a parent when in distress. And to call upon the name of the Lord, particularly in this context, is an expression of hope. We're going to see that next week when another Lamech expresses confidence in the birth of his son Noah. That Noah is the one who was promised and will deliver them from the curse. This is what it is for the people of God to call upon the name of the Lord. They are crying out to Him, not only because they are in need, not only because they recognize who He is and what He is like, but because they also recognize that their circumstances are such that only God can deliver them from those circumstances. And He has, in fact, promised to do so. This is, above all things, true of the offspring of Eve. We trust in God. We put our hope in God. We worship God and give thanks to God for all that He is and all that He does. To put it another way, the difference between the line of Cain and the line of Seth is not in the quality of their work, but in who they serve and worship. Cain's line serves and worships themselves. Seth's line serves and worships God. And who do we serve and worship? The answer may come too quickly. Of course, we know what we ought to say. But do our lives reflect this service and worship? Are we a forgiving people? Are we trusting God to be responsible for and faithful in justice in the world? Do we serve God with the good gifts that he's given us? Do we call upon the name of the Lord, worshiping Him as He has taught us to worship Him, relying upon Him for all of our needs, believing the promises of salvation, and looking forward with hope to the day that our salvation is complete? Now listen, none of us is perfect. And as often as we sin, we're acting like the offspring of the serpent. The difference between us 
and those who are in rebellion against God as we recognize our sin, we acknowledge our sin, we grieve and hate our sin. We are looking forward to the day when Christ will come again and make us perfect so that not only will we never sin again, we will never want to sin again. Our entire heart and mind will be oriented only towards what is right and good and true and perfect for eternity. This morning's text then is a reminder to us and a call to repent of our sin, to acknowledge the ways that we act like the offspring of the serpent, despite the fact that we are not. In Christ, we are the offspring of Eve. This morning, if you find yourself thinking that you might be the offspring of Cain, the offspring of the serpent, if you have not believed in Jesus Christ, trusted him, are not serving and worshiping him, there is a remedy. You don't have to be the offspring of the serpent forever if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. Acknowledge that you are in rebellion against God, that you've been living for yourself and according to what you believe is right. Repent of that, turn from it, and turn to Christ. And there is salvation. All of us who belong, who are a part of the offspring of Eve, are the offspring of Eve because Jesus Christ has and is saving us. And he will save you too if you will call upon him. Reject the father of lies. Refuse to live in rebellion to God. Repent of your sin and believe the promises he has made. Trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we who know Christ, we who are the offspring of Eve, let's wake up to the manner of life to which we have been called and live according to our identity in Christ. This is why Paul in Romans 6, when, when he, he's making the argument that grace covers our sin completely, that grace comes as a result of our sin, he anticipates the response, then shouldn't we sin even more? And his answer isn't, no, 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 no don't sin. If you sin, you'll lose your salvation. If you sin, then God will punish you forever. Instead, Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't you realize who you are? You belong to Christ. That's not how one behaves that belongs to Christ. Do you hear what Christ does there? Brothers and sisters, we who know Christ ought to wake up to the manner of life to which we've been called and live according to our identity in Christ. Repent when we fail. Pursue lives of holiness. Call upon the name of the Lord with hope. Jesus Christ is coming again. Let's pray.